Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St. Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, both John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks, Dan. It's my pleasure to introduce Keddie Crystal, who's the Policy Officer for the Women's Council for Domestic and Family Violence Services in Western Australia. And Keddie, you're our first interview from someone from the West. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, John. Thank you for being part of this podcast series and really appreciate your time. Now, your article is summarising a literature review on health, homelessness and brain injuries, which was a fascinating read, I must admit. It's, some, it's an article I've come back to a couple of times. But it also includes some pretty tragic statistics and, and we'll need to unpack that, I think, in our, our conversation today. So, just to kick off, um, your article commences with an outline of the link between domestic violence and homelessness. So, could you tell us a little bit, a bit more about this link? Okay, so domestic and family violence is the main driver for homelessness for women and children. And um, in here in WA, 40% of homelessness uh, is caused by domestic and family violence and it affects women and children. So women and children are forced, due to the behaviour of their partner, the violence or the threats of violence, to leave their homes, to find safety in a women's refuge sometimes, sometimes to move in with friends or family. Sometimes they end up um, couch surfing, end up sleeping in their own car, so they are forced out of the, the secure home they've had because of the violence and often they remain homeless for long periods of time, sometimes moving between refuges, sometimes going into short-term accommodation options and then if their partner is continuing to pursue them and to threaten them and to cause them ongoing issues, they go back into refuge again and they often have a, a cycle that might last several years before they can actually settle down and be safe in a new yeah. home and be free yeah. from violence. Yeah, this is a pretty full-on issue for our society and our communities, isn't it? It um, causes so much tragedy. And particularly for, um, I'm, I'm assuming, a large percentage of these women also have children. Is that right? Absolutely. I, one of the common myths for, uh, when people think about refuges and women going into refuge, they often forget that most of the people in a refuge at any one time are children and most yeah. of those children are between 0 and 12 years old, often they're between 0 and 5. So we're talking a lot of very young children whose early years of life may be spent in crisis accommodation or insecure accommodation services. And, and they've been exposed to the, the traumatic incidents that have happened in the home before yes, they've got absolutely. there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, look, one of the terms I was unfamiliar with, and I've, 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 uh, it's, it's something that's really struck me with this term, non-fatal strangulation. Um, and that apparently has tragic consequences for the victim, both in the short term, which is fairly obvious, but also in the long term. 
And I, I, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about what your, the research you've done and how that's uncovered this type of assault. Okay, so this is um, something that's really come to the forefront uh, in, in Australia in the last probably four, four or five years. Queensland was the first state to introduce some le specific legislation on non-fatal strangulation. Um, other states have followed. Currently, Western Australia has a piece of le uh, legislation before the parliament, which has been um, put on hold at the moment because of the COVID situation. But hopefully before the end of the year, we will have some specific legislation. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about a tactic of domestic and family violence. It's, it's a very gendered behaviour. It's 99% behaviour from men towards women. Wow. And it's, it's putting pressure external pressure to the neck. Now that may be done with hands, it may be done with feet, it may be done with um, a ligature of some sort, like a rope or a t-shirt. It may be putting an arm around someone's neck and then applying pressure. So what it does is it applies pressure to the blood vessels that take the blood into the brain and out of the brain and or applies pressure to the, the airway to across the throat. So yep oxygen is not um, available. It's an incredibly fearful experience because you are very close to dying. You, mm. The amount of pressure required and the, the length of that pressure is very short and the, the difference between surviving and dying is, is pure luck sometimes for many women. And I like in the first instance, obviously there can be a whole lot of injuries that occur but it's also one of these um, assaults on the body that sometimes, and the research seems to show about 50% of the time, there's actually no visible injuries to the woman when you're looking at her. So if wow. a first responder attends, like a police officer or an ambulance officer, they may not pick up that she's been strangled. And if she mm. has been strangled to the point of unconsciousness, she may not she will have memory loss so she may not be able to actually even tell them what wow. has happened because she may be she may remember being standing up and then the next thing she may remember is being flat on the floor and possibly you know she's been incontinent she's she's distressed she's upset and she doesn't know what has happened so the long-term impacts of this are huge as well particularly where partners use it frequently like we, you know, it's bad enough to be if it happens once, but many men will use that as their go-to response when they want to manage their, in their views, control their partner, and, mm. and put her down, put her in a place, dominate her in a way that it makes her completely fearful for her life. Yeah, it's just absolutely horrific. Um, Jetty, and it's 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 extraordinary that it's become a more common go-to form. Just one more medical question. One of the long-term impacts I think I read in your article was that someone could suffer severe illness and death two weeks after an incident. Mm, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So sometimes there is, and I'm not a medical person, but if there is damage to the arteries in the neck through the through the application of pressure. Um, a small piece of that inside of that blood vessel may break off and travel to the brain. 
so yeah. a stroke might occur and in the woman two weeks or a month or so after the assault on her neck. And so that's one of the reasons that um, a, a woman should seek medical attention if she has been strangled, but also that there's a case sometimes where doctors in ED hospitals are, may not do a CT scan, they may not be aware that that's required or they may not feel it's necessary and a mm -hmm. CT scan is the only thing that's going to pick up that internal damage that may cause problems for her further down the track. Wow, so it's so, so important to get this knowledge into the right hands so they can do the right treatment. So, so the next step of your article you then start talking about the link between non-fatal strangulation and acquired brain injury. Now, it's, in some ways, that seems to be self-explanatory, but maybe you could just unpack that a little bit for us. Um, so if we're thinking about someone who's experienced potentially some strangulation, um, on maybe you know several times, often with that, she may have also had her head banged against a wall or banged against a floor. So she may have had some um, head injuries or she may have had her body and her head shaken, lifted off, off her feet and shaken. So all of those things cause um, our brain cells to die. Hundreds and hundreds of brain cells die each time something like this happens. So where a woman is experiencing these assaults, insults on her body and her, her brain over a regular period and a long period of time sometimes, that um, low level of brain injury may be causing her, you know, just general difficulties in her day-to-day -day functioning around her memory loss, may be causing her, you know, headaches, it may be causing her to have a high levels of anxiety. So, and often those are not necessary things that can be really picked up on a CT scan well, very well, mm. but they, they, they have long-term impacts on her, her life and her quality of her life. And how easily she can maintain accommodation um, as well, I presume, um, which we do know is one of the issues in the homeless sector is those with acquired brain injury. So at St Vincent's, we've discussed this, this need for better services for homeless clients with acquired brain injury. It's been, it's been a particular focus of ours, and particularly where some of these particular clients um, don't go so well in some of the residential services or homeless services. What did your review uncover about how um, some of the information that may assist services in developing more effective models of care for these for people that have yeah. suffered an acquired brain injury. Um, you're right. Sometimes these women, when they come into refuges, are seen as as difficult or complex or disruptive clients, and um, often they may be, you know, not get the, not receive the length and quality of service that they that they need. So there was some interesting. Um, uh, suggestions and resources from America around but just really basic um, practical ideas of working with these women when you are trying to you know deal with difficult things if they've got you know um, court matters or you know financial matters to sort out so it's very simple things like making sure you meet in a very calm environment where there's mm -hmm. not much noise around not much distractions have quite short meetings, have lots of breaks between meetings because they won't retain all the information if you try and you know tell them ten different things in what, you know in the half hour meeting and expect them to go away and 
follow through on some of those actions. It might be necessary to write information down. It might be necessary to, to make sure you send her a reminder the day before she's having a meeting just so that it jogs her memory. I need that one as well, Kitty. <laughs> I know, many of us do, I think. <laughs> but the more important in this situation, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's small things, in the, small things if we look at them like that, but... Um, I think it's really important. There's this line between, you know, we, we want women to get back on their feet and we want them to get back in control of their lives and move on, but sometimes we don't actually give them the length of support that might be required for someone with particularly an undiagnosed brain injury, yes. you yeah. know, and we stop, we try to be trauma-informed and we try to not see the her as the problem but what's happened to her as the issue. issue and to yeah. support her with some tools to to actually deal with it. That's exactly in a health service where you just described some things that are very difficult in a health service, a quiet space, um, slow things down. In some ways in hospitals we find that quite challenging and I, I know that we are looking at an trauma-informed care model approach to, to support our staff to work more effectively with patients, particularly around their trauma. So some of those suggestions you've got in your article I think would be very useful, um, not only in residential settings but also other places as well. So just wanted to move on to, we're conducting this interview in the middle of COVID-19 of course, um, and I, I wondered, you've obviously had a lot of experience, Keddie, both working in, um, in refuges but also now for the peak body in WA. What do you think that COVID-19 might affect in the longer term, into the future, how we might work with homeless people who've got ABI, particularly women? Mm. Um, well, one of the things that's happening here in WA, which is an immediate result of the COVID uh, crisis, is that um, some work has been done to get an, a significant number of the rough sleepers in the Perth metro area who are chronically homeless people off the streets and into um, support, some supported accommodation. So um, these are people who use the ED clinics of hospitals as their major yep. way of getting their health, their complex health needs met. And so we've got a group of people that have been uh, now housed in a hotel and another group of people that have been housed in a, um, a campsite that's close to the, to the city. Um, and I'm really hoping, and the, the talk around town is that, that once we get through the crisis situation, these people won't then be put back out on the street, but they will be actually supported to go into a home. Because that's, that's, yeah. that's absolutely hope that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key element to them being able to provide them with the services that they need to then yeah. work on their complex health issues and feel secure and, you know, make decisions about the rest of their lives. How are the women's refuges going at this time? On, for the most part, uh, there's like we, we feel that we're in the calm before the storm at the moment. Okay. There's been some increase in around domestic violence calls to police, but the reports coming back from refuges in the regional areas and to some extent the metropolitan area is that it's, it's business as normal. So there's, you know, there's not a... No domestic violence happening. The expected increase that we are anticipating hasn't hit yet. Okay. All right. I will watch this space. 
Well, look, just coming to the end of our time, I had one final question I'm, I'm asking each of my um, wonderful people that I'm interviewing. What is there a story or an encounter that you've had, that you've had that inspires you to keep doing the work that you're doing and trying to make a difference to the people you're serving? I was thinking about this this morning when I was having breakfast, and I I don't have I can't single out a single a single person. I mean I've been doing this work for over thirty years, and mm -hmm. I've met hundreds of amazing women and children, and to work with all of each and every one of those is a real a real honour, and to see how capable they are and see how far they can go with their lives if you just give them a little bit of support, a little bit of respect and a little bit of hope that life can be better for them after violence. The resilience of women and children to overcome the obstacles that sometimes are put in front of them is an absolute inspiration for me. Fantastic. Yeah, look, at the people we work with are, I think, absolutely extraordinary and, and particularly people of suffered a lot of trauma, um, are really a resilient, amazing people. Teddy, thank you so much for the conversation and it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and keep up the, keep up the good work. Thank you, John. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parity Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.